Hey everyone, it's Mike. Uh, the Pittsburgh soccer community got some sad news today uh, in the passing of Gene Klein. Um, Gene has been a sort of stalwart in the community. For those who don't know, uh, he was assistant manager, manager, GM, um, was instrumental in, uh, in, in setting up the Hounds Academy. Um, he's a broadcaster for the team for a while. Uh, really just, you know, you couldn't think about the River Hounds without thinking about Gene. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame uh, recently as well. Um, so really, really sad news uh, to hear that he, he passed today. Um, you know, some of us in the Mongols crew immediately thought back to a number of conversations that we had with Gene and just sort of his passion and enthusiasm for all things soccer in Pittsburgh. Um, and, uh, and Josh, uh, brought up the idea of there was an episode that we did with him back in 2018 where he was sort of reminiscing about, um, you know, sort of his history here and all of the things that he was most proud of. And so, uh, you know, we thought as a as a, um, a sort of a final gesture to our friend um, to uh, to sort of release this episode. So for those of you who didn't know Gene, um, this is a, an opportunity for you to learn a little bit about, you know, what he was about and uh, just how important he was to this community. So uh, give it a listen. Thanks, Gene. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mongols Podcast. I'm Mike. With me is Josh and former Hounds GM, coach, announcer, do-it-all, Gene Klein. Together, we're going to kick off the new year by talking a bit about Pittsburgh soccer's past before diving into its present and future. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's go! Can you believe that, guys? No, I mean, that, that is no, the craziest sequence of events we've seen in quite a period of time. In the top right corner, gentlemen. Out to the middle. Back to Kerr. Guys, this is our uh, our first show back in 2018. Uh, Josh, welcome back. Gene, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Did you, uh, did you do anything fun over the holidays? Uh, yeah, shoveled a lot of snow. And watched a lot of games. Fortunately, they were on, so they were, there was a lot of activity on the television to keep us busy yeah no doubt josh did you guys uh did you guys do anything fun over the holidays yeah i went to ohio to see the family uh my family and liz's family and uh just had a good time kind of relaxing and i started a new position at uh my job so yeah kind of getting into the groove of things good good um yeah, we had we had fun as well. Kevin was actually in town for the holidays. Um, he is now back in Nashville. He's not joining us tonight. There was a last minute emergency, so he's not able to make it. But that's okay because the main attraction tonight is uh, is obviously uh, our new friend here, Gene Klein. Um, Gene, you know, you and I sort of exchanged messages back and forth, you know, talking about different topics and and uh, and felt that. You know, especially with the uh, the passing um, of uh, of Stan uh, Terlecki, um, that came out a few weeks ago. There there was a lot of news just about Pittsburgh soccer's past, and it dawned on me that you know I really didn't know much about sort of what happened in Pittsburgh prior to the Riverhounds. Like I knew about the Spirit, I knew about the Stingers, I knew about in general. But it felt like there was this whole other world that I just had no idea about. And it felt like you were the right guy to sort of tap into to to sort of pick your brain on some of those things and just have a discussion about where Pittsburgh 
has been soccer wise and sort of helped to to use that to shape where we think that Pittsburgh could be going soccer wise. So um, my original goal was to sort of start with the spirit and you came back and said, no, 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 let's talk about what happened before the spirit. So is there anything in particular that sort of jumps out at you that you think, uh, um, you know, everyone's going to enjoy hearing about what happened pre-spirit? I have some notes, but uh, since you brought it up, I wanted to start with you. Well, I think one of the things that, that people have to understand is Pittsburgh has a long and storied history and tradition of the game. Uh, because of the, 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 the mills and the mines, there were a lot of players that came over here to play, and it was a very, very strong league. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Jerry Luxbacher, uh, his parents, grandparents, uh, were very involved in West Bend soccer back in the early, uh, back as far as the early 1900s, and mm-hmm. he has all kinds of articles and memorabilia from, from that time. And if you go back and look at, uh, the old newspaper clippings, etc. I mean, Pittsburgh soccer was getting a lot of coverage back in the media in, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, uh, and, and really even up to the 60s. I know when I uh, uh, was a youth player playing, we, we would have regular summaries every Monday. You would look forward to that because there, in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette there would be a whole column on what went on for, from Sunday soccer the, the day before. So there's a lot of a lot of tradition. If you look back to you know we we hear about the Open Cups now, the U.S. Open Cup, with of course the River Rounds have been involved with, and, and since the MLS teams have come into that. But uh, going way way back, uh, you know we we had Open Cup champions out of here in Pittsburgh, and the same thing with the National Amateur Cup. So uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's a strong tradition going back to the 30s, 40s, and and really up to about the 50s. I, I think we were producing national champions yeah i i was a bit shocked sort of digging through the news there were teams from braddock beedling castle shannon homestead wilkinsburg they'd all do battle and you know as you mentioned the i guess the first year the u.s open cup sort of came into being was i think 1913-14 and braddock was the team that made it all the way to the finals and they ended up losing to bethlehem steel with only two minutes left in overtime so Bethlehem has, you know, obviously this, this hugely storied past, and I was a bit surprised that, you know, right. a team from, like, Braddock was able to make it all the way to the finals and to take them into overtime and, and lose in such a way. So, um, yeah. Right, and those, those would have been mill towns that, yeah. that would have been there. I mean, uh, and, and then when you go, you, you jump ahead a little bit into the uh, into the 40s, uh, you had Gallatin, I think. They were uh, from the Mon Valley, which would have been the mines. uh then in the 40s and up to the early 50s, there was a club called Morgan Strasses, which was mm-hmm. right outside of my old town, hometown of Bridgeville. Uh, and they were actually sponsored by a jeweler by the name of Pete Strasser, who ironically lived right down the street from me. But they uh, they won. Uh, they were in the finals in 43-44. They won it uh, uh, in, in 49. They won the Amateur Cup also. Uh, so, uh, and then you go into the Harborvilles and the Beedlings in, in the 40s and 50s, and those were just absolutely great rival, rivalries and, and enormous amount of attention. And playing in those games uh, would draw huge crowds. Yeah, it's something I didn't even I didn't realize. I didn't realize that that not only were the teams competing sort of on the national scene in terms of U.S. Open Cups, things like that, but Pittsburgh actually had two separate leagues within Pittsburgh proper itself. There was the Pittsburgh Press League and the Pittsburgh District League. So there were so many teams 
just locally, like you said, these mill teams, um, you know, the the coal teams that would just get together and do battle every week. It, it's just, it, it, it's awesome. It's awesome. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. We, you know, you, you go back further. I'm mean, a number of lists throughout. Uh, by, by the time I was a, uh, I was coming out playing, there was one left, which was called the Stone League, which was a, a very, very competitive league, which still had a lot of old. Yeah, I was a, a young kid playing. There was, you know, a lot of ethnic teams, but a lot of the Harmvilles, the Beedlings, the Heidelbergs, uh, uh, those teams were the Castle Shannons. They were all still playing. So uh, it, it was a very, very competitive uh, league and, and honestly a lot of fun to play for. Like uh, you, you, every game started at 2 o'clock on Sunday and you, you lived for those days. So it, it helped, I, I think, produce uh, and, and maintain and, and keep together some of the customs and traditions. And you, you have a lot of people there that still had that passion for the game, which we, we all appreciate and enjoy. Yeah, and, and you mentioned that, you know, it's it really ran from, you know, the early 1900s pretty much through the 50s, and it sounds like, you know, if you're wondering, well, what happened between then and now, it sounds like economic factors basically hit all of those teams really hard in the 50s, and that's when you sort of have this drop-off between then and, you know, leading up to basically the spirit coming in uh, in the 70s. Um, I guess there were well, a few and it little was, teams, yeah. Yeah, it was sort of a microcosm of really what was happening with soccer across the country also because, you know, there was, uh, although we know the NASL started a little bit and uh, really began, I think, in the late 60s, 67, 68, somewhere around in there, uh, but there was no professional league. And the NFL was really nothing in the 30s and 40s, and then in the mid-50s it started up. Uh, and the NFL took off by, by the early 60s. And so, and you also had a lot of those uh, first-generation Americans who were over here playing and keeping soccer really, really going. Their children and grandchildren may or may not have picked up the game because they went on to play traditional American sports. So it, there was that drop-off, and it took the NASL, to revive it, uh, Pele coming over, I think maybe '75, uh, and then it was right around that time that uh, Major Indoor Soccer League and the Spirit started. I think they were '77, '78. Yep. Is, is that correct? And and, and uh, so th- there was this appetite for for high level and for professional uh, soccer because th- it started to mushroom and there started to be huge numbers of youth players going. Yeah. Because back in uh, you know, when I when we started playing and going back to the 60s, you know, you had then you had senior teams who sponsored junior teams. And that was that was it. You know, if, if there were no U8s or, or U6s or U10s. Uh, uh, you, you were playing on the junior team, which was primarily high school. Uh, and your goal was to make it to the senior team. So uh, when the spirit came along, then that really, really created, helped fill that void for youth soccer and really helped, I think, provide stimulus for, for youth soccer in this area. And, you know, the the spirit obviously um, were a big deal. I mean, there was one season, I think it was the 83-84 season, where they averaged 8,000 attendees per game. And, and that same year, the Penguins only drew 6,000 per game. Now, you know, that was when the Penguins were in a bit of a rut, and the following season was when they right. drafted Lemieux. But in your mind, you know, 
what do you, why do you think that potentially, you know, soccer was such a big draw back then, whereas now, you know, we're, we're seeing, I think the most in the Riverhounds area was, or, or the Riverhounds era, sorry, is like four and a half thousand per season. Right. Right. I think uh, a, a couple of things, like I said, there, there was this uh, tremendous interest and, and this is what, I think most people look at it as the mid seventies as the youth boom uh, for soccer. And that's when Pele came over. I mean, that was just an absolute huge deal for everybody and kids wanted to play and they, they, they wanted to see uh, high level soccer. I think the other thing that helped a little bit is that uh, because the spirit were playing in the winter indoors it was a form of entertainment that soccer families could go to, uh, take take the whole family, see some uh, high level players, and, and uh, they weren't playing the night before. You know, uh, you know, one of the problems I think that that people struggle with at, at the pro ranks is, uh, especially at the USL level, is if we become over dependent on youth players families are out there playing and going to tournaments every weekend and and it's it's difficult now to maybe get them to go out one or two more nights to go see um, to see the pros whereas in the spirit days there was no competition you know and you had great guys like the Terleckis and uh you know the Paul Childs and, and others that people wanted to go see yeah, and and you know we mentioned you know Trelecki's passing. Um, our buddy John Krasinski did a great great piece on him over at the Pittsburgh Soccer Report. So everybody go sh- go be sure to check that out. Um, it, it's yeah, it, it just seems you know you you walk, you look back and you watch some of the videos of of uh, of the Spirit play, and even later you know there were the Stingers that played, and it, it, there was some just electricity going on. Um, and you know Trelecki himself, I think he was. He was one of the leading goal scorers in the league. I think I read somewhere like at one point he had like over a hundred goals in a season, which just sounds insane. But indoor, there's you know it's a it's a high scoring affair. So uh, so yeah, obviously you yeah, mentioned I mean, some it's, electricity. It's, yeah, Terlecki and, and and players like that. They were yeah. He was a he was Polish national team player and in his prime. He wasn't over here after his prime. So. Uh, he certainly was a, a top-level player to, to go see, but the Spirit had a lot of other uh, players that that complemented him and were, uh, and, and again were were drawing attraction to others. I, I think too, you know, uh, with the the indoors was was so new, and because the people getting into the game in the '70s and early '80s were, uh, it was a pretty unsophisticated audience, and and. Indoors was pretty simple to understand, and there were a lot of scoring and different things like that, and it was it was pretty exciting. Where now I think the the soccer fans out there have matured enormously. Uh, they understand the outdoor game. We can watch the highest levels in, in world soccer every weekend uh, or during the week, and, and so we understand and have a better understanding of what the the outdoor game looks like. Whereas the indoors at that point, that was, that was easy for the novice uh, parent or, or fan to pick up. And, and, and it was exciting. They enjoyed it. And there were, there were as I said, the, the level of play was very strong. Yeah, absolutely. I guess, you know, jumping forward here a little bit, we're not, not quite to the present, but you obviously have sort of been integral with the Riverhounds for a number of years. You know, I mentioned in the opening that, you know, you, you shared GM and coaching duties. 
Um, you know, you obviously did some announcing um, for the team. One thing that I think people may be surprised to know is that you really sort of had an integral hand in the start of the academy. Um, and, and really sort of building a partnership with Everton, of all places, to help get the academy started. How did that all come about? Well, uh, I had this, you know, if you recall, I was the, uh, the head coach of the Riverhounds when we were in Washington. Mm-hmm. And uh, my vision then to the Washington group was that we have to, to keep this thing going and to, and to make it stronger. Uh, we need to reach out from the youth level and we need to build an academy structure. Uh, but then after one year, we went on hiatus. And then during that time period, the Riverhounds were bought out by the Green Tree Sportsplex. So we took a year off. And during that year off, just, uh, you know, was looking at different options and different opportunities for the Riverhounds. We were looking at sponsorships or whatever. But I had a friend out of... Uh, in Eastern PA near Philly, uh, who was, who had a connection through a connection with Everton. And we wanted to go out, Paul Scott and I actually wanted to go out and we thought this is the first year we haven't been coaching in years and years. So we wanted to go to, we were going to England just to see some games. And I was able to then contact Everton, set up a meeting with them, uh, and had a meeting with their, uh, youth Academy director, uh, and pitched the idea of uh, partnering uh, with the Riverhounds, and that we would be, uh, 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 you know, we could both help each other in a number of ways, and uh, they agreed to it, and we came home and we began to foster a relationship uh, with that. Uh, then one of the things that uh, we agreed to is that we had their academy guy come over to, to put on a big clinic where we announced, uh, made a huge announcement that we were, affiliated with the uh, English Premier League team and we did a big clinic at the Sportsplex and uh, and uh, announced the uh, beginning of the academy and uh, so it, it sort of came from those meetings with Everton and, and uh, the, the ability to get connected with the Premier League club which we had hoped would take us uh, uh, a step above everyone and then of course you know I was working with Jason Cutney who's still with the Riverhounds and I think at one point I, I, I said to Cut, we have to uh, we have to we have to get this thing done, and we literally locked ourselves up in my basement for like twelve hours and and, and started working on the structure of the whole academy and where it was going to go, and then those guys took it from there. <laughs> so speaking of that, like, what do you think about the academy now? How it's grown? How's it changed? Uh, just the progress uh, that it's gone through. Yeah, I mean. You know, they're, they're doing a terrific job. Of course, Cutney and Scotty Gibson, uh, who's been there from the beginning with me, uh, are, are still uh, some of the key people involved with uh, Nico. Uh, it's, uh, who's another player that I signed is, is still heavily involved. So they have some really good people uh, that I think that are they're involved with it. And uh, certainly mistakes have been made along the way, but uh, I, I think that uh, they've made a lot of progress and trying to uh, get everyone involved and, and let everybody feel they're, they're, they're doing a good job training players and uh, trying to elevate the game in Western Pennsylvania. 
And, you know, clearly, as you mentioned, you know, there, there, there may have been some mistakes along the way, but they're doing a lot of things right, you know, especially when you look at the number of college signings that are pouring out of the academy each year, some of the U.S. national team call-ups. When you sat down and said, we should develop a youth academy, is this sort of what you envisioned it would be? Or, or when you got that in your mind, what was your ultimate goal? Well, I, I've said for a long time my ultimate goal is that I, I would love to someday be in my rocking chair and watch a World Cup and see a, a player from Pittsburgh playing for the U.S. national team in the World Cup. And, and I think that really the ultimate goal was to try and elevate and help elevate youth soccer in, in Western PA by creating an environment where players are going to get the best coaching and training possible. And that's really what we were what we were striving to do. Uh, there's a lot of superb clubs out here, the Beatlings, the Centuries, that, that all do a great job training their players and training their programs. And uh, But I've always thought, and it goes, this kind of goes back to the spirit connection uh, and the influence that the spirit had, that the, with the influence of the spirit and, and their notoriety and their presence here, uh, they elevated youth soccer. Uh, they created a professional environment and atmosphere that kids wanted to be a part of that. And, and I think that's one of the reasons I've always felt so passionate about the Riverhounds is I feel that we have to somehow replicate that so that young boys and girls in this area want to have players that they can look up to, uh, players that they can admire, and, and players that they want to, that's who they want to be down the road. That's their their goal is that they want to uh, be able to play like a Kevin Kerr or some of the other players that have come through uh, the around system because that's what we need. You know, we're, we're in a, a very professional city, and, and, you know, every football player, of course, is looking up to the Steelers. Every hockey player has a million role models that they can have, and we need those role models here as far as soccer. The Spirit provided that and gave, and gave youth soccer a tremendous boost. And the other thing that comes out of that is you think that the core of those spirit guys, a lot of them still played a major role in youth development. John Kowalski, who was the head coach, has been here forever, still coaching and playing a major role. You know, we mentioned our good friend Paul Child, who's had an enormous, enormous impact at every level here, but also guys that have been here forever, like Dave McKenzie, Bobby Vossmeyer. Uh, they've all made a major contribution to the game, and I think the, what we hope to do with the with the Riverhound Academy is put, is put uh, young players into those coaching roles to be good role models and, and to inspire these young kids that they want to be that that type of player. And uh, you're you're creating a culture in Western PA where you have guys that have played the game at a high level and can give back a little bit to the community. So uh, those are those were some of the things I think that were part of my vision from the very, very beginning. And, and I think the guys that, uh, that, that have been there have, have carried, continue to carry that on. So with that, do you think the Academy um, should be like a direct connection to the pro team? Like, would you see a, a youth player going from there directly to the pro team? Or do you think it would be more towards the collegiate side where they go to college and then they come back to the hounds? Well, I mean, I, I, I would I would hope that eventually it, any academy throughout the world that's that's the goal. You know, kids playing in those academies they want to uh, they want to move into the first team, 
and, uh, you know, and I can tell you, a young player for the Beatles Juniors, you wanted to be a player for the Beatles Seniors. So it, it's, uh, I think that that would be ultimately, ultimately the goal. Right now, realistically, the, the key is to develop these kids to the highest possible level uh, and give them opportunities to play, uh, be it collegially or professionally. But uh, it, it would certainly be nice if the academy is, is certainly a pipeline uh, as we're starting to see with NLS academies, you know, and that has to happen more. I mean, the, the pro clubs have to give these kids an opportunity and a chance because that's the only way they're going to develop if they get those opportunities at that higher level. Yeah, and we've seen, you know, the the Riverhounds Academy Twitter is, is constantly putting out, um, you know, different tournaments and how the team's faring, and, and it seems that the development is there and it continues to progress, and, and, and they're putting out a good showing. So, um, you know, it's definitely something that I think we'll continue to talk more about here in the future. Uh, just real quick, Gene, you know, obviously you, like we, we talked about, you know, you being involved, um, you know, sort of as the GM, sort of, you know, as, as the coach – what was your biggest challenge, you know, back then in terms of running the team and, and, and keeping things together? And how do you think that that compares to the challenges that the Hounds may face now? <laughs> it's a big uh, question. I know. I'm what, sorry. What, what, what wasn't a challenge? <laughs> everything, everything was a challenge. I mean, from, uh, you know, did we have enough money to pay the bus? You know, I mean, it was... Uh, and, and finances were really the biggest challenge. I mean, we, uh, you know, we, we had struggles in every particular area and, uh, it, it was, it was hard to do everything, uh, on a shoestring, but I, I think everybody back then was, uh, committed because we wanted to keep this, uh, the pro game alive and we did not want to see the, the river homes fail and drop off and because then in my mind I was always terrified that uh, then once again without a professional environment in, in the city uh, the game is going to sl- the growth of the game would slow down and, and the development would slow down and uh, as I said I just feel that we need that professional environment to continue to motivate uh, young players and to continue to provide role models um, these kids need to get the games you know, they need to get the games. They have to understand that the teams in the USL play a, a very good level. So, uh, yeah, everything was a challenge. I mean, there, we facilities were was a major nightmare for me when I was the, the GM as coach because finding a practice facility uh, was was difficult, uh, and uh, having the finances to to do really what we needed to do from signing players to promoting the game to marketing it was. It was a real challenge. We had to we had to find a lot of unique ways to go about and do things for sure. Well, and you had mentioned that you know the team took a year off, and we see that you know unfortunately the same sort of thing is happening with the Rhinos at this point. Was there ever any doubt in your right. mind that the team may not come back? Uh, not really, because it was shortly after. I mean, the, the Washington group. Uh, seemed committed uh, to, to, uh, to, to bringing it back, uh, but it was not long after we went into hiatus that uh, the, uh, the, the people to Sportsplex demonstrated an interest, and then uh, conversations uh, went on from there, and, and we were able to 
strike an agreement that we knew we'd be coming back for the 2008 season. So we had we had that year to try to uh, put things together, and, and but it was it was difficult with no revenue or anything coming in. And like I said, the one positive point we had at that time. Uh, were we able? We were able to secure the uh, partnership with uh, with Everton, and so that was pretty exciting. And, and I think that generated a lot of interest. But but there are a lot of challenges, and, and really challenges with the league. The league is completely different from uh, today than what it was uh, back with a number of teams in MLS. Uh, the professionalism, I think, of the front office in Tampa, all, all of that. Uh, so it's all change, and, and all for the better of the game. Uh, one thing that changed last season, I don't think was for the better. Uh, we didn't have you announcing anymore. Uh, you and Paul Child. Uh, I mean, can we expect to see you guys come back, or have you heard anything from the front office? Like, any word on that front? Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree with you. That was uh, disappointing to Paul and I. We, you know, we really uh, enjoy calling the games, and uh, I hope people didn't mind listening to us too much, you know, uh, between a Yinzer like myself and a Brit like Paul, it might have been tough to understand us, but uh, no. hopefully, we, <laughs> hopefully we came through okay. Uh, yeah, it was disappointing. I mean, like, I understand where the league, you know, I mean, I think uh, for everybody that didn't know, the, the USL decided that they were going to uh, try to professionalize the broadcast more by doing everything out of the studio in, in Tampa, was my understanding. And uh, I think there were a lot of struggles with it. It made no sense to me. I mean, I can't imagine the Pittsburgh Steelers without the great Billy Hillgrove and Punjik Gilkin or the Penguins without Mike Lang. And, 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 you know, and I think every club should have had the opportunity to promote their local interests. Uh, so, but back to your question, uh, we, they, we, I did talk with, uh, uh, the, the Hounds a little bit. They, I know that there was some talk about trying to bring us back a little bit for a couple games late in the summer. Uh, I had a number of conflicts, couldn't do it. I think Paul did one and, uh, they are hoping at the end of that year, they're hoping that we could, uh, uh, we could be back to call some games for this summer. So haven't heard anything lately, but I know they're busy with uh, with a new coaching staff. So uh, they got other things on their mind right now. But uh, hopefully, I mean, I, I'm certainly up to do it. I mean, we enjoy doing it. Uh, we'd love to call some games next year. Look, if there's anything that we can do to help make that happen, like you need us to like push anybody or get some signatures or something, <laughs> you just let us know, man. Because hey, we... I've listened, I've listened to some of these podcasts, and I know you guys are best buddies with Puffy. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd say best buddies, but yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, but you mentioned, you know, the 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 obviously the new coaching staff. Um, it was announced just this past week that, in addition to obviously Bob Lilly, but we now also have Coach Pulisic, who's uh, joining as an assistant, and they're retaining Hunter Gilstrap and Dan Visser. Thoughts on how things are just shaping up so far this off season, at, t- at least in terms of the front office? Well, I I, I know uh, I've known Bob for a while, uh, and uh, he knows the league inside out. He's, he's seen the evolution of this league, and he knows uh, he, he's won at a number of different levels. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited that he is here. I, I think that he is 
uh, going to put together a, a strong core and a strong nucleus. Uh, he knows what else is out there, uh, and he knows how to coach. You know, he, he's he's a darn good coach that can put together, I, I think, a, a very, very organized team. I know it, it, when Paul and I would call the games when he was with the Rhinos, we knew exactly what to expect with the Rhinos, and we knew how uh, well organized they would be. And certainly with uh, um, Mark Plissick coming in, I, you know, I know it's one of Bob's old buddies, uh, and, and he was a great a great indoor player. I saw him play indoors a number of times. Uh, they're they're going to provide the, the leadership and the, the expertise of the league at this level that you need. And uh, so, uh, and they're already made some key signings. I know some guys at Rochester. I know them from watching Rochester play, and those are some uh, solid players. They're going to provide a very good nucleus for the team. So I, I think that they are uh, moving in the right direction. I know they're going to be having. A lot of tries, I think, throughout January, and, and looking for some more guys to fit in. But but uh, Bob certainly has the experience and the knowledge, and uh, to be able to get us ready by uh, whatever it is, the second or third week of March to start the season. Yeah, and you you mentioned some of those Rhino signings. Um, since our last show, there have been five uh, former Rhinos that are signed. We got keeper Dan Lynn, who played at Pitt and in the uh, Hounds U23 program. Yeah, he previously trained under Hunter Gilstrap, so there will be a connection there. Um, defenders Jordan Dover and Raymond Lee, and also uh, midfielders Cristiano Francois and former Rhinos captain Cornardo Forbes. Um, I think, you know, at least myself right. personally, just sort of picturing a midfield with, uh, you know, Forbes and Kerr running around just – like I think that could be amazing, um, but uh, yeah, I guess uh, yeah. Forbes, Forbes is a heck of a player. I think that's a key one uh, uh, right there uh, because uh, certainly Bob can. He's starting to put together the spine of his team, and, and uh, with Conrado Forbes there as a linchpin, uh, he can uh, really start branching out and uh, putting guys that are going to complement like the Kevin Kerr's and the Conrado Forbes. So. Uh, that's uh, that's exciting, I, and like I said, I'm, I'm sure he's. Uh, I haven't talked to him recently, so but I'm sure he has a lot of uh, getting a lot of phone calls, and there's been a lot of interest uh, to come here to play for him in, in Pittsburgh. So uh, it, it's it's not easy. It's not as easy because there's so many teams out there anymore that uh, you know all these. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities for these kids, but. Uh, uh, Bob has the contacts and the connections, and I'm sure uh, uh, Coach Pulisic is, is going to help him in those areas also. Uh, maybe maybe he has a family member that he can loan out for a couple games, you know, and uh, to help us out. But uh, no, I, I'm sure they're on, they're on the right track, and and uh, and he'll he'll have us ready by March for sure. Yeah, yeah. Looking at the schedule, training camp is less than a month away. Um, the Hounds currently have ten players on the roster, so obviously we can expect some more signings between uh, between now and uh, and then. And so, yeah, looking... and, uh, I'm sure they're really busy at it right now. I mean, yeah. this, is, this is a busy time. This is when they're on the phones and uh, and bringing guys in for trials and, and and taking a look at them and watching a lot of video. So. Uh, they're 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 busy, and I'm sure Bob already has a a, a list, a huge list of guys that uh, they're talking to and, and they're looking at, and he he has his ideas of where he wants to go with us. So, yeah. uh, a lot a lot of confidence in his experience. So, 
you know, things have been changing a lot for the Hounds. It seems like every season there's something new going on. Um, I just, where would you like to see the, the club be in like five or 10 years? Uh, I'd really like, first of all, I'd like to see uh, Highmark Stadium packed every game, that that first and foremost. And I think if we can uh, do that, uh, and it's, that, that helps in a number of ways because, number one, it generates a number of interest here in the city. Uh, it increases the relevance of the team uh, among the other sports franchises. Uh, it generates interest uh, for that uh, important youth market that we've talked about, that, that kids have role models. They want to come see high-level high soccer. Uh, and uh, I, I really would hope that – I know that we, we have to add seats uh, – at high mark for the division two status. And, uh, I, I would hope we're going to fill them up. So, uh, and I think if we can do that, that of course also generates not only ticket revenue, but sponsorship revenue, which they can use to continue to buy high level players, which are going to bring people out to watch. And, you know, and it's going to create some, uh, another generation of, of young kids who come out and, and like the, the, you know, you, you you talk to the kids of the of the eighties who grew up playing in the eighties and they, they saw the spirit. Those were the role models, and they wanted to be the Terleckis and uh, and the Childs and the, and the Vossmeyers and those guys. And uh, and that created a, a generation of kids that are now heavily involved in coaching at all levels. And so I think that's what we need uh, with the Riverhounds. We need to perpetuate this. We need to continue to make it going. Uh, to make it make a good go of it, and, and uh, hopefully by not only putting competitive teams on the field, but also increasing our, our marketing and our visibility without there in the community. I, I think that's uh, that that's important. So uh, you know, I know that everybody thinks, oh, once we start winning, they're going to, you know, we're going to pack it. But I, I think there's a lot more to it, and I think we have to do uh, uh, be much more heavily involved not just in the soccer community, uh, but out there in, in, in the entire community of the city uh, and get groups to come in to this game and, and, and create a tremendous interest and a lot of enthusiasm for uh, for the River Rounds in Pittsburgh. And, and like I said, that will increase our visibility and, and, uh, and the sports visibility. And that's where we want to go. We want to continue to push it and, and make it better. Absolutely, and and Gene, one one more quick question, and we'll let you go. I, I say quick question, but it's, it may end up being a big one. Um, you know, obviously, you you've followed the USL, you're close to it. There's so much news swirling around the league right now. It was just announced today that Memphis is going to be joining the league. What are your thoughts just on the USL landscape over the next? You know, I won't even say ten years because things have been changing so quickly. Just over the next few years, and sort of the Riverhounds' role in that. Just any general thoughts about the league overall from where you, from where you sit? Uh, yeah, I think uh, as I said, the league is night and day from from where it was, uh, and uh, the the. Uh, uh, the, the current ownership of the league, Alex Papadakis and, and, and his group, uh, Jake Edwards, the president, they have completely professionalized everything and I think really uh, elevated. Uh, the partnerships and, and the affiliations with MLS has also uh, 
you know, kind of a dual sword there. I think as you guys have pointed out in some shows, you know, there's, uh, it's, it's certainly, uh, attracted a lot of players and, 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 and made us a little bit more professional, but at the same time, you have that, that, um, underlying notion that we're a farm team for the NLS, which I, I've never seen it that way. It's just a different level. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a different level. It's it's not like the, the if there's one thing that grates me is when I read something that talks about minor league soccer, because mm-hmm. it's not soccer. Those guys are, everybody playing those leagues, these, these are guys getting paid. They're pros. They're good players. Uh, and uh, it's just a different level, just like anywhere else. Uh, in Europe, so I think they've done a tremendous job. Where, where, do, where do I see it going? Uh, uh, I, I really see it becoming regionalized. Uh, that, and I think that's they're they're they're, heavily, they're strongly pushing in those areas. If you look where some of these franchises are being added, it's it's going to be you know uh, northeast, southeast, um, maybe Midwest, far west, or maybe even Pacific area, and and you're you're going to you're going to create uh, Tense rivalries that are that are really close, and, and again, what that does is improves the soccer culture, not just in those local areas, but also uh, uh, also nationally. And that's that's where we need to be. Uh, you know, the the Steel Army and others have they're they're quite aware of our rivalries with uh, well, they're not Harrisburg anymore, but Penn <laughs> FC, <or laughs> FC Penn, whatever we are, and, yeah, uh, you know. And, 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 and Richmond, and, and, and of course, and unfortunately, uh, I mean, that's a shame with Rochester. But those are those are great robbers, and that, that creates, uh, there's a little passion and culture. And those go back to the beginning of the club in 1999. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I see it moving towards those uh, that area where, you know, again, maybe a little bit more regionalized with, with of course, major, you know, some crossover games, et cetera, but, but really uh, improving in, in the, the culture of the game in those areas and and stimulating a, a new generation of, of passionate soccer fans, which is going to keep this game moving forward in the, in, into the decades to come. You mentioned, you know, uh, calling it minor league soccer, and I know I've, I've probably been guilty of saying that myself, but I think that's a very interesting take on it. And I think if we can, I think a lot of people haven't gravitated towards the hounds because in a lot of ways they don't think of it as sort of top level soccer they think of it as minor league soccer and i think if we can change that mentality um that uh you know you you will start seeing more and more fans come out so i i totally agree with you know let's just drop the whole minor league idea and just consider it a whole nother league because you're right you look at the talent level that that's coming through the usl and you look at even just they they recently announced the um the 30-man roster for the u.s men's national team and the number of players that either are on usl teams or were formerly on usl teams like a zach stefan who was called up um it's just right. it's just another level and and uh yeah and so we need to start we need to make sure we keep that in the forefront of our minds so i think that's a really good point yeah and i mean maybe these doing. guys are you know they're not at, uh, at the highest level yet but there's a lot of development taking place and uh you know for all the knocks of you know the the mls two teams if you will their, their reserve teams are adding in there how many of those guys are, that's part of their development MLS mm-hmm. teams are investing in the USL because that's going to develop their their first team and it's developing uh, the game and and we we see we see what happens with the Zach Steffens who gets development here with the uh, with the with the Pittsburgh Riverhounds 
uh, gets a lot of key games that he would just been sitting in Columbus. And and, and Greg Berhalter sees enough of uh, Zach Steffens uh, here in Pittsburgh that that he's able to give him the keys to the car last year. Mm-hmm. And what does he do? He, he he lights up the league and he's called to the national team. So I, I think you're going to see a lot more, uh, you know, Tyler Adams for the Red Bulls. Same thing. Those, yep. those are. It's a great opportunity for for some of these young players. And like I said, it's it, it, it you know, all, all in all, it might not be at, at the highest level, but it's certainly not uh, the ugly word minor league. It's it's, it's a division two, if you will, a lower division, but it, it's uh, still high level professional soccer and. Uh, and I, I encourage people to come out and see the River Islands, and uh, they're going to be entertained. Absolutely. Gene, I could listen to your sultry voice all night, but we also <laughs> be respectful of your time. So, um, you know, huge right. huge thanks for dropping by. As I mentioned, we are massive fans. So happy to hear that you would be willing to join us. Um, everyone go check out all Gene right. on Twitter, at Talk. Hopefully this isn't the last we hear from you either in the preseason or as the season goes on. And like I said, if there's seriously anything we could do, you let us know to try to get you and Paul back on the air because you guys were definitely missed last yeah. season. Well, we, we, I, we certainly appreciate that. And like I said, I hopefully we'll be uh, able to call a few games. Uh, I'd love to do it again. And I really appreciate the invite on the show. Give me a shout anytime. Love to talk to you guys. Awesome. Thanks, Gene. Thank you, guys. Bye. But so that was awesome. Huge thanks to Gene um, for stopping by. Um, I guess just a, a few other quick bit, uh, quick pieces of news to get through. There's a ton of stuff that's been going on with the USL right now that we're just going to sort of save for next week. We've got you know the whole off season to talk about it. Which I say the whole off season, but like I said, we've got less than a month until training camp starts, and then we'll start hearing more about players and games and all of that. The USL seems to have promised that we're going to get a schedule here soon. Um, I'll believe it when we see it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. <laughs> um, but I guess two two really quick things. One, uh, right after our holiday uh, spectacular blowout show, we put out a tweet basically saying that if you went out and you retweeted uh, the tweet that was there, uh, along with your favorite moment from soccer in 2017, you would be entered to win a free Chromecast that we're giving away. That contest is still on, so if you head over to our Twitter, at Mongols, uh, it's pinned to our profile. It's the very first one you'll see. Just retweet it with your favorite soccer moment from 2017. It could be related to the Hounds. It could be related to the Academy. It could be related to anything, anything related to soccer, and you'll automatically be entered to win, uh, to win a free Chromecast. We will send it right to your door. Um, so go check that out. Uh, last bit of news, Josh, the uh, the Steel Army announced the annual general meetings coming up on uh, Sunday, February 11th. Any uh, any little teasers you can give us? Anything that's uh, going on in particular? Um, nothing in particular, except for the fact that we do have some positions open in the Steel Army board. So, uh, you know, you should go to the website, check that out. Uh, follow us on Twitter. We'll have more information there. Uh, but, yeah, uh, not too much happening yet. But uh, we, we do have things in the works. Yeah. So that'll be at Highmark Stadium, SteelArmy.com for more information. Otherwise, I think that's it. Like I said, huge thanks to Gene. Josh, thank you. I know there were some uh, computer issues and we were racing down to the wire to get you on this one. So I uh, appreciate you joining us as always. Um, if you're looking for more great soccer podcasts, head over to BGN.FM. You can follow us on Twitter at Mongols. Email us at Mongols.BGN.FM. 
Head over to iTunes, subscribe to the show, leave us a review. If you don't feel like leaving us a review, it'd be really helpful if you just told like one friend to go listen to the show. We're, we're trying a couple different things this year, you know, sort of like bring a friend. Um, just to, you know, the more the more people that listen, the more uh, opportunities that we have to to do some fun stuff and to and to really help out the community. So uh, it 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 takes a community to build a community. So we need your help. So yeah, like I said. Share with a friend, head over to iTunes, subscribe to the show, leave us a review. Otherwise, let us know what you thought about this one, and uh, thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you very, very soon. Later. Before you go, please help us to keep doing what we're doing by becoming a supporter of the show. Head over to mongols.com and click on the Become a Supporter button. For as little as $1 per month, just $1, you can help keep the show commercial-free while also getting a say in who we interview, the questions we ask, what we talk about, and you can get some sweet gear as well. Thanks again to all of our listeners for your continued support. That's mongols.com. Click on become a supporter. Mongols.com. Become a supporter. Thanks.